trae sacarse la mierda ahí adentro, muchachos. Ha tocado familias, hermano. Y es verdad, la hemos sufrido, la hemos pasado mal. Ahora mismo la pasamos 52 días entre nosotros como familia. Pero nos hemos adentro que somos familia, que somos grupos, And with those words from our spiritual leader and king, yes, that's King Eddie Zendena of Wilsterman, we welcome you to the South American Football Show. On this week's edition, we will be discussing round four of the group stage of the Copa Libertadores. Joining me to discuss all that is, first of all, Tom Robinson, who's back again. Hiya, Tom. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm feeling fired up and, and ready to give my all for the podcast after King Eddie's um, rousing words there. And and yeah, basically, I'm going to try and avoid any conference call faux pas like uh, the Argentinian Juan Carlos Ameri, who uh, hopefully everyone's seen in the news. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, we, we can do without scenes like that, really. I'll do my best. Podcast. And, um, <laughs> and also joining us is... Austin Miller, who's based in Argentina, so maybe he is feeling the heat. All I'll say, Adam, is I am quite pleased that this is an audio podcast and not a visual medium. Uh, much more difficult to commit those sorts of faux pas, I think. But good to be back on the show. Yeah, well, welcome back. Um, we're going to start this week's show by looking at what happened in Group A. This week, you know, Group A was also our starting point last week with Independiente de A beating Flamengo 5-0. But this week, it was kind of a bit of a case of after the Law Mayor's show, really, with them going down 4-1 to Junior. And Independiente did make some changes from the side that beat Flamengo last week, 5-0, the Four players came out the side, including um, probably their two most impressive youngsters, Preciero and, and Caicedo. Um, but Tom, it was still quite a disappointing performance, um, but we think that the Ecuadorian side should still be all right to go through to the next Yeah, round, I think no? you, you would hope so. I mean, first and foremost, it's, it's such a big win for Junior, the fact that they pulled that result out of the bag just when they need it most means that we are going to get a really interesting and nail-biting finale to this group and and certainly Independiente de Le Valle would be my pick to to get through but um, I think there's still certainly there's a danger that I didn't expect before that they could um, be upset and I think we'd all be very upset if they didn't get through um, but yeah it was I mean they started well Gabriel Torres again um on the score sheet really good work from uh, Jacob Morillo on on the left to to put him in but then yeah hat trick from Carmelo Valencia the the 36 year old um striker who's been around the block um and I thought it was a real masterclass in how a wily older striker can can sort of use his nous and, and clever movement to his advantage you know, at least I think at least a couple of the goals came from it. The defender just getting too tight to him and him just rolling them and and finishing well. And then at the end, Hinostrosa um, with a really nice golazo to to finish things off. So, yeah, um, bit of a wake up call for Independiente del Valle. And you know, even though they they did have some changes to their team, it was still a fairly strong team there. So hopefully, it's 
it's just a, a bit of a wake-up call that they can't just breeze through the rest of this group after that amazing 5-0 win. Um, and uh, yeah, hopefully, I think I can speak for everyone on the pod that, that they that they get through. Um, I mean, Austin and Adam, do you think got, we're getting overexcited about Independiente de Valle? Are, are there sort of signs that they could be a bit weaker than we thought? What I will say about their position, just for any listeners that don't know, yeah, they're still top of the group um, on nine points, and one of the main and the main reason for that is their goal difference is eight better mm. than Flamengo, um, and they're also eight better off and three points better off than Junior in third. So basically, if they get a point from their last two games, they're they're through pretty much with with Flamengo and Junior having to play each other still. So. Yeah, and and they've got Barcelona at home to come, and Barcelona, we'll come on to them in a minute, have been appalling, really, in the, in this group. Austin, I know that when Independiente were 1-0 up, you were, you were quite high on them, um, but w- what did you make of the, of, of the collapse in the second half, and like, are you worried that, that they could blow this? I mean, you could say what I said, Adam. I believe I texted the group and, and said, Independiente del Valle are my pick to win the Copa Libertadores. Um, which, I, I don't know, maybe I'll stand by that. Uh, not a great second half as far as that's concerned. Um, I, Tom touched on this. I think more than anything, what this game did for me is reinforce how big of a result this was for Junior. I didn't think Del Valle weren't great. They certainly obviously weren't as good as they were in the 5-0 win against Flamengo. But this was an absolutely massive result for Junior. Um, I think we had pretty much left them for dead in this group when after two match days, you know, it was 6-6-0-0 as far as the points are concerned. Uh, They got the three points against Barcelona that they needed. And then almost by accident, they seemed to maybe find something that worked. Um, Simon has said so much about, you know, Teo Gutierrez and how he sometimes doesn't make Junior better. Miguel Borja wasn't an option for them. And so in steps Carmelo and he scores three goals. Uh, I think it'll be really interesting to see what they can build on this going forward. But there's, you know, every chance for this junior side to to have a shot to get out of this group. Uh, If they can pick up three points against Barcelona, which I think you'd favor them to do next week. Then all of a sudden, it comes down to, to Junior Flamengo on the final match day. Um, and I think that's a position that, that Junior will certainly be thrilled to be in, given their situation earlier. Um, I'm still confident Del Valle will get out of this group. And I think that they can be pretty dangerous in a, in a knockout tie. I think this was just maybe an off night for them more than anything. Yeah, indeed. Um, you know, I was just pushing, pushing the, the non-Columbian narrative with Simon Edwards not here. I don't think we had to go down the route of Colombian football propaganda. <laughs> you got to represent. Anyway, the other game, the other game, the other game in this group saw Flamengo. They took on Barcelona, and well, they were all over them from from the very start of this game. I actually started watching this game and and changed it over to another one because I thought the gap in class between the two, despite a weakened side. A weakened Flamengo side, and we and we come on to why in a minute. Yeah, you know, this this ended up being tighter than it probably should have been, though, Tom. Definitely, I I think um, 
as we'll get on to, the, the game itself seemed pretty one-sided. Um, but for me, it was it was more about what happened to Flamengo off the field this week rather than what happened on it last week. I mean, and to be fair, very impressive for them to bounce back after last week's humiliation and under some pretty trying conditions. You know, they stayed in Ecuador after the Independiente del, del Valle game. Um, I think they had a training session cancelled because of the threat of a volcanic eruption, which is pretty peak Libertadores. Um, Gabby got got injured several players tested positive for coronavirus including you know their first choice first choice goalkeeper and and both the right backs in the squad I think um and then they tried to fly a few players out to join them but then they didn't get any authorization from the Peruvian airspace so had to turn back eventually they did get out you know the, the extra players after a lot of extra bureaucracy and time wasted um and then also just the state of things in in Guayaquil um which has you know been badly hit by by coronavirus like so many places in the world um there were calls for the game to be suspended um when that wasn't approved uh, they announced that this the, the suspension of the stadium um and then after some behind the scenes discussions it seemed like the ecuadorian national health authority overruled that local health authority and the game went ahead so it was f- for all that to be going on uh, I, th- I think we sh- i think we should point out it was led by the Ecuador Minister of Health in a Barcelona shirt <laughs> wore a Barcelona shirt to announce the game yeah, is on exactly. Twitter, which was also peak Libertadores yeah, it, it, it really did have everything and, and I think because of all that and with you know the last week's performance really putting a lot of pressure on the manager particularly and, and the team and wanting to bounce back from that I think to have, have to go through all that extra hassle or extra stress um will they won't they p- play all of that you, you do have to give some credit to flamengo obviously they've got a far superior squad and they can still draw on some fantastic players um but you know credit to them where it's due, uh, due even if they aren't playing the best barcelona side that's been let's be honest a shadow of itself from from the team what we saw in qualification but i'll, I'll let i'll let austin discuss what happened on the pitch yeah, like Adam said, uh, kind of a surprise that this was only 2-1 in the end. Flamengo were that much superior, it felt like, in the first half of this match. Um, they scored with six minutes on the clock. Pedro scored, and then De Arascaeta scored with 26 minutes played. And it kind of felt like, oh boy, they're going to get a couple more, and, and this is going to really get away from Barcelona. Um, but then Barcelona scored kind of out of nowhere with Emmanuel Martinez early on in the second half. And, you know... I don't know if it was maybe a fatigue thing for Flamengo or, or whatever. They didn't really step on the gas as much as they could have down the stretch. But a 2-1 result is is certainly a, more than enough for them. Um, a quick word that, as Adam said, this Barcelona side have really been – they've uh, been a lot less than what I expected them to be, uh, particularly given how good they looked early on in this competition before the group stage – um, Fidel Martinez was obviously a big part of that, but just comprehensively, they played so well. They ran through a, a legitimately good Cerro Porteño side, I felt. And then the group stage just hasn't gone their way. And now they're already out of the Libertadores and they don't really have much of a shot to make the Sudamericana either. Um, a big disappointment for them, but a big response from the Libertadores champions, I think, uh, given everything uh, that has happened to them so far in this competition. Huge response from Flamengo, and I think this sets them up. They'll be comfortable with where they're at now, and I think they'll feel like they can get out of this group. 
Yeah, and um, a shout out to friend of the pod and sometimes guest, Javier Zavala, who tried to warn us that Barcelona weren't up to much. So, yeah, <laughs> we move on to Group B with Palmeiras, um, currently top in the group, which will surely please you, Austin. Um, even though you live in uh, in Argentina, you're still a Palmeiras fan, I take it. Yeah, enough of one. I still enjoy. I still like seeing them do well. Sure. How how did how how did their game go this week? Maybe you can talk us through it. Adam, an advert for South American football. This was not nil nil Guarani against Palmeiras. Palmeiras have been really good defensively this year. Uh, they've been hit or miss in attempting to score goals. Um, I think both sides will be pretty pleased with this result. Guarani feel that they're the second best team in this group and they're in position to turn that into a spot in the round of 16. Palmeiras feel like they should be winning this group and they're in position to do that now. So not a ton on on the pitch to discuss here. Um, a couple of saves from Weberton in goal for Palmeiras to deny Guarani. Um, Palmeiras just didn't look fluid in attack, but that's kind of been the story of 2020 from them. As I said, they've been really good defensively. They continue to be good defensively. That pairing of Felipe Melo and Gustavo Gomez um, has been really good at snuffing out chances for opposing sides. But they just didn't have enough in the attack to to get more than the point out of this match. But as you said, they're top of the group. Um, I think from the outset, we figured that this group would go to Palmeiras, and, and that certainly looks to be the case after these matches. And I think Guarani are certainly in the best position to take the second spot in this group as well, given everything that's happened. Yeah, I think uh, it was a kind of a draw that suited both sides and neither will be too upset about it. The the Tigre one, Bolivar one almost felt like it was the result that neither side were were happy with. On one hand, it was a you know big missed opportunity for Bolivar to take advantage of that draw in the other game and give them a shot of uh, qualifying. While for Tigre the injury time penalty miss that would have given them a, a first three points in the Libertadores um, is just going to be a bit of a, a gutting missed opportunity for them as well. So yeah, it was a pretty decent game um, actually, not necessarily in terms of uh, quality the whole time, but certainly there was a fair amount of excitement. Uh, Marcos Riquelme, no relation, um, hit, hit the post pretty early on. And then Manin scored for, for Tigre. Um, it was quite a, I think that's two and two for him now. And uh, it was a really good shot from Jacopuzzi that, that kind of surprised the keeper and, and Manin just couldn't believe his luck to to sort of turn it in from close range. Um, Bolivar hit, hit the woodwork again, this time through Saavedra. And then finally they did equalise. Um, and it, in a pretty, uh, pretty bad uh, defensive error from Tigre let them in Tigre once again shooting themselves in the foot absolute gift from the goalkeeper if anyone saw Kepa's pass to Mane um, in the in the recent Chelsea Liverpool game then then basically the same sort of thing just from a little bit further out keeper under no pressure passes it straight to Raquel May who just effectively doesn't even have to control it just hits it and it, it goes back into the net so yeah Tigre causing problems uh, for themselves. But um, yeah, the, the Bolivar keeper, Javier Rojas, really kept the minute. Um, he he scored, uh, did some great saves throughout the game. And then uh, he was the one who, who made a really, really good penalty save from Manin in the in injury time uh, to to 
ensure that Bolivar got at least a point out of a game which they they could have quite easily lost even though I, th- I think for for certainly the most of the first half they they were far superior so yeah that late drama gave uh, gave it a bit of interest even if um the the fact that Bolivar couldn't get anything out of the game means that it it might sort of go down as a bit of a, a dead rubber by the end of the group Indeed, indeed. Let's move on to Group C, which for me has probably probably been the lowest quality group so far in this Libertadores in terms of uh, the quality of matches I've I've, I've seen anyway, and and probably a quality of teams in it as well. With with both, you know, the Uruguayan and Chilean giants in the group really in quite miserable form um, in there at the moment. and yeah, and that carried on here really with Colo Colo going down 2 0 um, in Brazil to Paranaense. And they didn't have a shot on goal until injury time, which uh, basically tells one story. And the, the other thing which tells a story is they scored two own goals in the, in the first 15 minutes. Although neither of them were particularly obvious own goals, they went down as own goals. Um, you know, after after a couple of replays, but neither of them were particularly obvious as own goals. Felipe Campos um, flicking on uh, near post corner for the first own goal, and then Gabriel Suazo, who was trying to get back to deny an easy tap in, basically managed to divert it into his goal, trying to stop that. So, yeah, a little bit unfortunate with 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 those two own goals, but you know. Overall, this was a fully deserved victory for Paranense, who look, you know, certain to go through as uh, as group winners now, and uh, deservedly so, as they're the only side who have at least played some decent football uh, at, at some point. But even then, I don't think that. I think in some other groups in this Libertadores, they probably would struggle to get third place. So I think there is quite a a gap in class between this group and, and some of the other groups. Um, Tom, I don't know if you saw any of uh, Penyarol's loss to to Wilsterman, but you know Wilsterman basically won both halves of that, and um, and despite a good start from the Uruguayan side by going one up, you know, but they soon un- unravelled again. Yeah, Wilsterman were, were well deserved for, for the win there. Um, it's been something of a running theme of Penyarol being pretty terrible away from home. I think if you look back for their last few campaigns in the Libertadores at least, then they seem to do all right at home, but they just can't buy a win on the road at all. And and obviously going going up to uh, Wilst, uh, Jorge Wilsterman in, in Cochabamba, that's always going to be a, a difficult trip. And especially when uh, Eddie Zenteno is is on form. I, you know, another thing I think that um, Penyarol have have struggled with is that they've got they've been very good at producing young players, but um, certainly in a game like this, you you probably could do with a bit more experience up top. And there were a few occasions where I just saw Zenteno really giving um, Agustin Alvarez the the canary as he's known um, quite a quite a rough time. A few little stray arms and stray elbows there, which I think um, managed to kind of get into some of the young. Penyarol attackers' heads a little bit there, um, and yeah, Pato Rodriguez with with two two lovely goals, um, really nice late run um, and header that sort of 
downward header into the ground that deceived the keeper and um, uh, and a very nice controlled volley to to wrap things up. So yeah, Penyarol very disappointing yet again. It's it looks like it's going to be nine years in a row. Although I think they missed out, they didn't qualify for one tournament, but certainly in in the last nine years they haven't got out of the group stage at all, which is absolutely shocking when you think. Yeah, I've I've got, I've got the stats here, Tom. So in two thousand eleven they reached the final. And then um, the following three years, they went out in the in in the group stage. And then in 2015, they didn't qualify. And in the last four years, so 2016 to 2019, they've gone out in the group stage um, again. And it looks like this year they're also going to go out in the group stage. So, yeah, that is a really shocking record. Uh, and I wanted to ask you, you know, why do you think this might be? Because if we look across town in Montevideo, Nacional, they've yeah they've got a pretty decent record in sort of the last decade in the, in this competition. Certainly getting out the groups. Yes, anyway. it's tough to put your finger on on just one specific reason because certainly we know that football changes so much in in South America and all around the world. Um, to be honest. Um, so if you think how many different cycles there have been in that in that decade, effectively, it's um, there's going to be so many different influencing factors. I, I mean, certainly some years you can say they've had a bit of bad luck with withdrawing some tough teams in their in their group and and narrowly missing out. I definitely think this year was looked like an absolute golden opportunity for them to get out of the get out of the group because they, they've got some good young players. Um Pelistri is one that we've we've talked about a lot, and um, and you know they're, they're a team that's good enough to get out of this group. But I think this kind of looks like it's a case that this bad record has really kind of got into their head and is is becoming a bit of a mental barrier for them to cross. I don't think they're helped by perhaps not the best run operation off the field as well. Certainly, the fact that they hired someone like Diego Forlan who had no experience in management um and but then didn't give him enough time to actually try and build something and get his ideas across i mean i think you either you go with that and you stick with him for a while or you go for someone who's a bit more tried and tested um who's going to be able to manage one of the biggest clubs on the continent historically anyway um so i think there's a mixture of things that are going against them uh, and fundamentally it's it's just the sporting project is not not getting results on the field, and um, they really. I think this, out of all of them, is, is going to be one of the ones where they really kick themselves, especially after getting a win in the first uh, round of fixtures. Um, you know, they they really should be getting out of this group. So we'll have to see. Hopefully, they can make it tenth time <laughs> lucky next year if they uh, if they are indeed there. Yeah. So. The only thing you could say in, in Penyarol's favour is they do have two home games to come uh, in this group against Colo Colo and Paranaense. Um, so if they won both of those, maybe they could rescue themselves. But you know their, their goal difference is also the worst in their group, so they're probably going to need um, to win those games by a bit of a margin as well. Um, but yeah, basically... Yeah, you've got to think that the last game in the group between Colo Colo and Wilsterman will probably decide who goes through in second place in the in in Group C. Let's move on to Group D. One of the one of the most sort of eye catching matches of the week probably was between Liga Tequito and Sao Paulo. 
And the Ecuadorian side, after we saw one big win for an Ecuadorian side last week, we saw another big win this week as well. And yeah, like I say, this time it was Liga de Quito getting that result by beating Sao Paulo um, by four goals to two. It was a very impressive performance, wasn't it, Austin? It was, and I think it was even a more impressive performance than the scoreline would suggest. Uh, Sao Paulo got a couple of goals in the second half uh, after they were already down by pretty big margins. They got one at 3-0 down to cut it to 3-1, and then one at 4-1 down to make it 4-2. So this was comprehensive from Liga, and this puts them in a really good spot in in Group D. Um, Sao Paulo struggled at altitude against Binacional in their first Game in this group, a 2-1 loss that I think they will look back upon now and really regret. And this is another game where they just didn't look like they were at, at the level uh, that, that Liga de Quito was in this match. Um, a good game from Martinez Borja, who scored the first goal for Liga de Quito. Uh, a really impressive looking header into the top corner of the goal. Um, Johan Julio then with two more right before halftime to, to make it 3-0 and then I think the, the pick of the of this game and maybe even of the week was Billy Arce's strike uh, with 76 minutes played to make it 4-1 uh, really well hit ball and a really impressive performance from, from Liga de Quito and, and as I said top of the group and in really good shape I think now to, to go on and, and get out of this group and, and make some noise in the round of 16 from there yeah, that Billy Arce goal is certainly worth checking out, especially for any Brighton fans, as, as he's on loan from Brighton uh, to Liga de Quito. Yeah, Tom, go ahead. Yeah, Austin, I was just going to say, from, from a Sao Paulo point of view, is a thing starting to fall apart there behind the scenes a bit? I know that it seems like Dani Alves might not be spending too much longer there. Is is you know is that what you put this down to, or do you think that Quito would just had their number really and you know certainly the first half properly blitzed them yeah I think with Sao Paulo the the pressure's now on and it feels like we've said that a lot about Sao Paulo over the past few years uh manager Fernando Janis wasn't in a great position coming into this match losing this match certainly didn't help uh, they play at Internacional at the weekend uh, the expectation is that Danny Alves will be in the eleven for Sao Paulo in that match, and then he'll be available for selection next week in the Libertadores when Sao Paulo go to Buenos Aires to face River Plate. Um, I think that's probably about everything for Sao Paulo. Um, if they can, you know, get a win from that match, I think, you know, things can continue as they are. But if they don't, I think you can probably expect pretty considerable changes from Sao Paulo, definitely as far as management is, is probably concerned and, and potentially even with, with various players as well. Um, so a lot of pressure on Sao Paulo going into that match. And I don't think you can give them a whole – I don't know that there can be a whole lot of confidence in what they've shown so far. Uh, the 2-2 draw against River that we saw last week was pretty fortunate for Sao Paulo. They got a point out of that match. And they just didn't look like they were at the level of, of Liga de Quito in this match. And that's certainly not a position that as a club they want to be in. And the other game in this group also made the headlines this week with River Plate beating B-National 6-0 away from home. River Plate had also won this fixture 8-0 in in Buenos Aires. So, yeah, the 14-0 aggregate score in total, which we believe is a Libertadores record, 
for any stage of the, of the competition, which is not a record that B National will want to hear again. But yeah, this was another run of the mill victory for for the Argentines. Yeah, they absolutely outclassed B Nacional as you'd expect, um, given that reverse fixture. Um, you know, B Nacional keeping it down by two, so you know, little, little victories there. Um, but I, without wanting to patronise them too much, um, I think the fact you know they're without their usual home advantage um, obviously played a big factor in this. I think River were very fortunate that they got to play Bianassi now at this stage and not earlier in the competition um, up in Bolivia. Um, and I think if, if, if anyone had watched the, the game with Quito last week, this is the kind of scoreline that would have happened if, if Quito had been a bit more clinical in front of goal. You know, River were just absolutely ruthless. And I think for all the all the Boca fans that were enjoying the, um, the jokes at um, River who got relegated to the B Nacional playing a team called B Nacional were and all the Spider-Man memes and everything that was going around there. They were, it was pretty short lived when um, River absolutely pumped the Peruvians um, again, right from the off nice goal from Nico de la Cruz to, to get things off. Good interplay with Borre. Um, and then for the second, again, it was a bit, bit of a deflection on Suarez's, volley but good work from Montiel they, who kept getting down the right and kept picking out chances um, Julian Alvarez kept up his re, uh, really recent really good recent form um, and sort of swept one home to make it 3-0 um, Montiel again picked out Nacho Fernandez who, who shot crept in um, after the keeper got some hands on it um, and then even just to rub salt in the w- wounds um Lucas Prato, the Oso, the Bear, um, came off uh, the bench and, and and helped himself to to two goals. the The first one actually was um was, was I think it's always a shame when you see uh, a shot acrobatically cle- uh, cleared off the line to then just see someone score anyway. Um, it was a bit like that Rod Fanny moment, but not quite as dramatic. Um, but yeah, Prato, good to get a couple of goals under his belt, and and yeah, River showing that they've already shaken off any. Um, any rust um, that they've uh, had from, from from not playing for so long and getting into the groove, that's going to help confidence. Um, the Argentinian uh, league, have, they have, still haven't got a start date, but they have uh, announced that they are going to have some, some friendlies and some teams are jumping on that very quickly already. So um, certainly River, one of the Argentinian sides that look like they're, they're quickly getting up to speed and um, it'll be an interesting to see what happens against Sao Paulo. They could certainly deliver them a, another hammer blow and, and open the way for Quito to, to come through with them. But I don't think anyone's expecting River um, not to qualify. They, sh- they should be f- uh, through pretty easily, I, I would imagine. Moving on to Group E, which at the moment, the top two spots are occupied by two great rivals in the, in the south of Brazil, International and Grêmio, and, and they played out what appeared to be heading for another nil-nil draw, but in the end, Gremio grabbed a goal in the second half to to win it one-nil and put themselves back right back in contention of getting out of this group, having looked quite poor away to Universidad Católica last week, and I kind of wrote them off really in this group after that because every other side in this group had impressed me at some point. Austin. How, how how do you see this group sort of developing from here? 
And did you think that Gremio deserved their their one 0 win over International? I think this was a result that was definitely a little bit surprising and also the absolute worst result for both America the Cali and the Universidad Católica, who we'll get onto in a minute when we talk about their match, particularly when you combine it with the result that those two teams played out in their match. Um, I don't know that Grêmio were significantly better than Internacional in this match. I think they had a moment of individual brilliance that won them this match from Pepe. Uh, really well-taken goal. Uh, really nice way to win the biggest derby for your club and, and one of the biggest derbies on the continent, on the continent's biggest stage. And at a moment that Grêmio really needed it. Uh, I think for the first time in the Renato Gaúcho era, maybe outside of last year's 5-0 loss to Flamengo in the semifinals. There was some real pressure on Gremio coming into this match. Uh, maybe some chatter that the longest tenured manager in Brazil by a long shot was maybe under a little bit of pressure to get a result. Um, the performance against Catolica left a lot to be desired. The domestic forum, which had always been a question for his sides, wasn't where it needed to be maybe yet. But they came in and they they got a win. Uh, I don't like I said. I don't know that they were demonstrably better than Internacional, but they negated Internacional, and that's something that we haven't seen anybody else in this group really be able to do. Um, I think certainly Inter maybe got caught up a little bit in in the moment. Uh, you know, it's a big rivalry match. You've got a chance to maybe bury. Yeah. In, in both legs, you know, we should re- maybe remind listeners just before lockdown, these two played out, a, you know, a very fiery encounter that ended up with sort of a brawl and various red cards, isn't it? But it's kind of frustrating for me because International should be sort of the runaway winners of this group. But when, yeah. when I've seen them, apart from playing against Gremio, they look far better than, than the other three teams in the group. But when it when it comes to playing Gremio, they seem to, like you say, just get caught up in in the derby atmosphere. Even though for this game, crowds weren't even allowed in, so they didn't have that pressure. Yeah, and I think Gremio do a pretty good job of of kind of winding them up a little bit. Inter have have struggled against Gremio recently, so there's a bit of that weight as well. I don't have the exact numbers. But they played Gremio twice after lockdown and lost both of those matches. And then they went on and lost this match. Um, and I think, you know, Kudet is not necessarily a manager that you look at and say, ah, oh, he's going to be able to calm his side down. Um, you know, love him or hate him, he's certainly not that type of guy. Um, so I think it was just a combination of things. And, and that manifested itself in another fierce, intense, kind of chippy sort of match that didn't have a lot of flow. And when it's that sort of game, one moment can swing it. And Gremio took advantage of that moment and they swung it. And they put this group right on a knife edge. And I think this group is pretty clearly obviously going to, to come down to, to what happens over the next couple of matches. Can Gremio use this to kickstart themselves and go forward? Can Internacional put, them beh- put this result behind them and get back to playing, like you said, Adam, where in their other match, in their other matches in this group, they've looked far and away the best side in this group. Um, but two matches against Gremio, they only got you know one point from those two matches. So um, it's a really intriguing group going down the stretch. And Adam, I think a big reason for that and a big missed opportunity is the one-one draw that we saw between America de Cali and Universidad Católica. 
Yeah, I, I think I think there's a bit of frustration from both sides that, that they didn't win this. But from the Chilean perspective, anyway, of the game, um, you know, Catolica were were the superior side in this one. I, I, I was quite pleased to see Catolica basically playing really well again after 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 their two 0 win over Gremio last week. Um, it looks like they took great confidence from that. And although they started this game with uh, Diduro making an error, and I and I should make an apology um, to Catolica fans at this point because Diduro has probably been the best goalkeeper in Chile for certainly the last couple of years. And and I was sitting in a cafe near um, Catolica Stadium before a Palestino game. Um, this is this is back in February. And uh, and the door was uh, was there, and um, and me and my mate got 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 some photos with him, shook his hand, had a bit of a conversation with him, and basically ever since that moment, he's made um, howlers. The jinx so, of Brandon. Um, he's he's made. <laughs> I'm an absolutely terrible goalkeeper. Whenever I've tried tried that uh, role in football, so. Um, I think when I shook his hand, I passed on all of my appalling goalkeeping skills to him. You space jammed it, Adam. You have the goalkeeping <laughs> abilities now, so you should get out there. Uh, maybe, but I, I don't even have a chance to do that. You know, you can't play football here still at the moment in in amateur session. So, yeah, I can't. I don't even know if I'm a world class goalkeeper or not. So it's doubly frustrating. Adam Selection. That's what um, I'm saying. And. Uh, yeah, we need a backup to to Claudio Bravo after all. So, yeah, um, and and I've got my Chilean citizenship, so I could definitely do a job if if I if I have got his powers. Um, yeah, but yeah, getting back to this game, yeah, Dodoro basically passed it straight to Vergara to Vergara. Yeah, um, who passed it into but an empty net. Although Dodoro did try and get across to it, and he ended up colliding with the goalpost. Which looked quite painful, and then Catolica, a couple of minutes later, managed to get a penalty. And you think, oh, this would be one-one because Oed is so reliable from the penalty spot. But of course, he sees his penalty saved. That's the second penalty he's missed in Libertadores, and I can't remember him missing one ever in the in the Chilean league. And they get penalties on a regular basis in the in the in the Chilean league. Um, so that was frustrating, but. Um, and then for maybe sort of 10, 15 minutes, you, you would say that Cali looked the most likely side in this game. But then I thought for the last hour, I thought Catolica were were by far the superior side. They got an equaliser through Zampedri, who actually took his first real chance of the game, which is a very unusual thing for him. And then a couple of minutes later, they scored again from a set, um, this time from a set piece. Um, but, for some reason, it was it, well. It was ruled out for offside, but it was a really bad decision from the linesman. Um, he was clearly onside, and yeah, and and in the second half, Catolica missed four to five good chances. Two of them really big ones. Um, Benares especially should have should have finished off a chance where he was basically one on one with the goalkeeper in in inside the box. Um, could have put it either side of him. Decided to sort of try this sort of delicate chip over him, and it and screwed it wide. 
Um, Oed had a header off a set piece, free header. Didn't quite connect with it properly, uh, and it just went wide of the goal. So yeah, it's uh, it was a very frustrating night for the Chilean champions, and and basically, I think this not winning this game, I've got a feeling will probably cost them qualification from this group. They had already started off slowly in this group um, when the, the Argentine manager got in charge there, Ariel Holland. His ideas didn't quite come across back in February and March when the group stages kicked off. But since Chilean football restarted a month or so ago, they've looked absolutely fantastic in the league and they've also looked very good in this competition. So maybe it's going to be a case of if they can keep um, Holland around for next year, then they, they might have a much better shot at this and hopefully get an easier group because I do think that this has proved to be sort of uh, the toughest group in in the competition, the group of death, if you will. Some of us did think that beforehand, and I think it has played out that way. Um, I think these four teams are possibly the most sort of evenly matched compared to the other groups, although I do think Internacional are probably the best side in it. But yeah, it's, it, it was a really frustrating night for Catolica, and unless they win their final two games which is Gremio away and International at home, then, yeah, it's well, they, they won't get out of the group. Maybe they will be very keen to get into the Sudamericana, though, because if they got into that competition, I feel that by finishing third, I feel that they could go really far in it if, if, if they and could get into Holland's that, got uh, form in that tournament as well. So, yeah, they, they could well um, do, do well there. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, he won it with... Um, Exactly, yeah. day, didn't he? A few years ago. Right, Tom, well, we're going to move on to Group F and I'll come right back to you here because Nacional topped that group after after another victory. Um, that's four wins out of four. They are the only side in the competition with a 100% record. And yeah, they're, they're basically already through in this group and... Um, and it's it's been a it's been a great start to their Libertadores campaign, and they continued that with another win. Yeah, they've, here. they've been really solid. I, they haven't had the hardest group, admittedly, and and have t- I think taken advantage of the fact that Racing haven't been at their best uh, due to the the long break in Argentinian football. Um, and they're going really well in the league as well. They're, they're fighting the Uruguayan title with a with a couple of games to go. It might even be less by the time uh, this goes out. So it was quite a change side from from them as well. And I kind of thought after Merida had done well against Alianza the week before, I wondered if it was a it was a chance for for Merida to to potentially get something out of this. But building on that really really strong under twenty um, side that won the under twenty Libertadores. Um, not that long ago, their kids were were, were pretty pretty good. <laughs> it turned out, and um, Thiago Vecino, a guy who scored a phenomenal le- uh, amount of goals at youth level, I think um, similar levels to to Suarez um, at, at youth level for Nacional. He got um, he got the opening goal after pretty early in the game with just a simple back post tap in found by his former under twenty teammate uh, Ocampo. And then an even younger uh, goal scorer got his name on on the score sheet with uh, the young centre back Orihuela, um, making it two not long after that. So really strong and quick start from Nacional. 
Merida did get themselves back in the game with a really nice team goal. Really work, well-worked uh, team move there, uh, finished off by Ronaldo, Ronaldo Rivas. Obviously, if it's Merida, then it's going to be Rivas, who scores at some point, one of the four. And um, But then second half, Vecino put the game to bed with a really cool penalty um, kick. So, yeah, job done for Nacional. Um, they're through and uh, they're looking pretty good. I think they... They're looking like they've got a bit more in attack, a bit more strength and depth, especially with all the young players they've got on, on their books at the moment. And they're showing that, yeah, even when they're not playing Bergesio up front, someone like Vecino can step up and um, and sort of deliver on the promise that he's showing. So, yeah, strong, strong signs for, for Nacional and, and they're a side that could... Uh, could maybe go a little bit further than they usually do. I'm I'm not going to tip them for uh, the the title like like Austin has with Independiente, um, but um, I think they could they could get to the quarters at least for sure. Yeah, I, I watched some of I watched some of this one, and I thought that Estudiantes um, were always in the were were mm. always in the game. But what impressed me, and I didn't really have this context um, as I was watching it was that Nacional, how, just how young this side is. Um, I know that you've, you've touched on it, but you know, I, was, I was looking at some statistics last night and they are actually the youngest side in the competition. Um, and this felt like quite a mature performance for, for such a young side. And even though the Venezuelans dominated the ball they, and they had a lot more efforts on, on goal than Nacional, it was National who created the bigger chances in the game, and and that really proved the difference in the in the end. And the other game in this group saw Racing um, beat Alianza Lima two 0 Austin, you have an interesting stat about Alianza Lima, I believe, and um, and what did you make of this game? Yeah, Adam, this result now makes it 21 Libertadores matches without a win for Alianza Lima. A couple of draws in that stretch, um, but that mark, 21 Libertadores matches without a win, is now tied most all time. But this record will be an intriguing proposition as it comes down to the wire because next week, Alianza Lima and the Estudiantes de Merida will face off for what I think we can safely say will be a spot in the Sudamericana, essentially. Um, Rossing and Nacional, going into this group, we felt pretty confident that they would be the teams coming out of it. And so far, we've seen nothing to suggest anything otherwise. Um, the only points picked up by either Estudiantes or Alianza Lima came against each other in that win for Estudiantes de Merida last week. Um, this was not a great performance from Rossing. They left it until late. They scored twice when they did score. They got a 2-0 win. Um, they, more so than other sides, seem to have kind of started slowly uh, coming out of this lockdown period, among the Argentine sides, I should say. Um, Defensa Justicia, River, um, Boca, more or less as well. Um, but we've seen some sides play, I think, a bit better than, than we would have expected. But that hasn't necessarily been the case with Rossing. That said, I think they'll be perfectly fine with what's happened so far. They get a shot at Nacional to try and go and win the group. But if not, they'll still get out of this group. They'll have some time before the round of 16. And they can maybe find a bit more form. Um, this was not a game that you're going to want to go and search the highlights out. Uh, Alianza Lima have just not been great in this competition as 
the numbers will tell you. And they were not great again in this match. So um, job done for Rossing is probably the best way to react to this. And we can pretty much put a bow tie on this group. I think Nacional, we already know Nacional are going through and it looks pretty much like Rossing will be joined. Okay, moving on to group G where Santos currently top it on 10 points after their 2-1 victory in in last night's late night game in, in Ecuador. They beat Delphin 2-1. Yeah, and it looks like um, Santos will go through with either Olympia or Defensa y Justicia. And it was the Argentine, Argentine side, Defensa, who beat Olympia 2-1. Yeah, Tom, um, before, before COVID struck, uh, Defensa didn't have any points in, in this group. Now, after the restart, they've got six points and sitting second in the group and um, and looking in great shape. Yeah, all well, the momentum is is written them off before the uh, before the break and and get, especially given the fact that they hadn't played any games in between and we're in up against some fairly decent, if not brilliant, opposition. I don't think much of us really many of us thought that they were going to uh, pull these two results off. But um, yeah, Hernan Crespo, a.k.a. Matt LeBlanc, has been getting defensive moving in the right direction up the table. Um, another good impress- uh, impressive performance from them. You know, they. I think what's, as well as the results that they're getting, it's the, the style of football that they're playing as well. It's They're passing it around very nicely. They're, they're getting the pitch nice and wide. They're, yeah, they're, playing good football as well as uh, as well as finally taking the chances that they often created but couldn't um couldn't finish off before um and initially i i thought that they were playing a bit of a risky game because they, they they've got they play with quite a high line and olympia were were so close to getting in behind them on, on a few occasions i think they had a sort of four offsides in a very short uh, spell and Derlis gonzalez was looking very threatening i think he's been a good addition for olympia but they got the goal through Washington Camacho, um, always a, a name that I enjoy saying. Uh, the Uruguayan for Defensi Justicia there. Again, really nice team move. Um, pullback from uh, Isnando, who was very good last week as well. Um, and just before the half-time whistle, they, they hit the upright from uh, Enzo Fernandez, who's on loan from River Plate. Again, Defensi Justicia really utilising that loan market very well and, and picking up um, good young players from... Um, the likes of Boca and River and, and Independiente and Racing um, to, to really good effect. So, yeah, one and up at the break. And then uh, Brian Romero made it two, about 15 minutes into the second half. Um, and then at that point, um, Ernesto Caballero was red carded and it really looked like there was no way back for the Paraguayans. Um, but um, Isidro Pita um, pulled one back Um and uh, he, he's he's a really interesting player, actually. That he's another new signing for Olympia. Um, he's kind of got a Colin, not Colin. He's kind of got a Conor McGregor um, beard and swagger to his uh, his play. I think Colin is the <laughs> yeah. brother. Well, yeah, maybe he is Colin uh, McGregor. Um, yeah, so he's got that McGregor swagger, whether it be Colin or Connor. Um, and they, they signed him from Sportivo Luqueño, where he'd got seven goals in 16 games. Um, and they yeah, snapped him right up. And uh, he's he's a player who's, I think he's still only about 21. Um, and he's 
yeah, there's something different about him. He's he's uh, an interesting player to keep an eye on. But anyway, um, that goal wasn't enough to get Olympia back in back in the game. And um, yeah, the fence uh, got their second win in quick succession, and and they're looking like the the team to beat. I mean, if they've if they're playing against a Santos side who've who've already qualified potentially, then um, you know they they could definitely shock us all and and get through to the next round. And uh, yeah, all credit to uh, Crespo's team there. If only Olympia had kept Emmanuel Adebayor, that's all I can say. Well, you got a red card in the last um, time they played. <laughs> <laughs> he probably would have missed that. Missed all of these games, though, for violent conduct anyway. So, yeah, it was like a flying kick into someone's head. <laughs> yeah, the, the only lasting impression that he made was on the neck of uh, a defensive Houtisier yeah, player. Indeed. Um, yeah, and uh, and like I mentioned earlier, the other game in this group saw Santos beat uh, beat Delphin. Austin, what did you make of this one? Yeah, this was a good performance from Santos. Um, I think given the group that they're in, they've they've kind of flown under the radar in this competition a bit. Um, it, it's not a group that is full of you know big name, big pedigree type of sides. You've got Santos, you've got Olympia, and then you've kind of got these two other teams in Delphine and and, and Defensa. Um, but I thought this was a good performance from Santos. It was what you want as a bigger side going on the road in the Libertadores. Um, they scored early. Uh, some poor defending from Delphine allowed Santos to, to run up the right wing and, and Mourinho was there to, to finish off the cross into the back of the net with just 18 minutes played. That put them up 1-0. Uh, they were handed a big advantage um, when Carlos Rodriguez, the Uruguayan for Delphine, was sent off for a second yellow card. Uh, he picked up his first yellow card on 39 minutes and then picked up his second yellow card on 41 minutes. So quickly uh, went from being perfectly fine to being out of the match. That definitely obviously swung this match as, as the second half wore on. But Delphine, they made it interesting, and, and they got a goal themselves uh, with Juan Roas scoring with about 15 minutes to play. And you kind of thought that, ah, missed opportunity here for Santos. This is definitely one they're going to regret. Two points slip away. Maybe it won't cost them, but they'd certainly like to have them. And then it kind of felt like once Delphine scored again, it, once Delphine scored, I should say, it, it woke Santos back up and they kind of started to play again and their playing worked. And John Mota got the winner for Santos with 82 minutes played and puts them in, as you said, Adam, really good position, I think, to go through in this group and sets up this group to be Defensa y Justicia and Olympia for the final spot to go through to the round of 16. Um they don't play each other again. So I think that will make these, these last couple of matches interesting. It'll be about what they can do against Delphine, a match that I think they will both feel they can win and Santos, who I think will probably be favored against both of these sides. So it should be interesting. Uh, defense. I have a chance to kind of end the story this coming week. If they can beat Delphine and then have Santos, pick up their end of the bargain and beat Olympia defense are through. And I think it would be deserved for them. I've been really impressed with what I've seen from Crespo's side in these last two matches. They've really turned it around and I think they would be well rewarded with a spot in the round of 16. Indeed. Indeed. Um, let's move on to the last group that we need to cover group H and that saw Boca juniors claim another victory. That's three wins out of four in this group that they're now on 10 points. They went away to Colombia and beat um, Independiente de Medellín 
um, 1-0 with a late goal from Savio, which was predicted by Tom Nash, a.k.a. River in English, River Plate in English, as, as some of you may know him on Twitter. Um that's, that was a great call, no? Oh, it was a it was a brilliant call. I, he couldn't have got it more spot on. I think he uh, said you'd Boca to play terribly and get a winner in the eighty seventh minute or, or something like that. And um, and uh, yeah, that is exactly how it played out. It was a pretty awful game. Eighty eight, okay. eighty eight, and it was on the eighty eighth well, minute yeah. the goal. He's even more accurate than me, and I knew knew what happened. So if incredible scenes from him um but yeah like like i say it was a pretty awful game very disappointing from uh deem again um i think out of the sides that sit rock bottom of their group they're probably the most the ones that i'm sort of most disappointed in i expected more from them um you know perhaps some of the others you don't you don't have too high too much high expectations but deem i thought would at least you know be able to get some points on the board um and Boca, i think Again, a bit like Racing, doing enough without necessarily being at their best. Um, Camposano and his um, ferociously sharp cheekbones were, were excellent in the centre of midfield. Um, and Salvio, as, as I mentioned last week, showing just how important he is for this Boca side. That's two weeks in a row now that he's come up with with really, really important uh, moments. Um, and Boca would be in a bit of trouble without him. Um, so, yeah, not too much more to say about this game other than, um, yeah, Boca are just kind of cruising along in third gear. Um, and uh, while they're not guaranteed, um, I'm pretty sure um, that they'd be, they're, they're, you know, they're all but through, basically, is the, the long and short of it. Yeah, uh, the less said about that game, the better, I think, as that was certainly one of the worst this week and to to wrap up the pod we should mention that Caracas um, beat Libertad 2-1 and that's given the Venezuelans a great shot at perhaps qualifying from, from this group now Austin yeah I've been pleasantly surprised by this Caracas team I've also been pleasantly surprised by Estudiantes de Merida I should mention as well but the results haven't been there for them the results, however, have been there for this Caracas side. Uh, they picked up a point against Boca in their first match. They took advantage, certainly, of a Boca side that was thinking otherwise when they made that trip to Caracas on match day one. They nabbed a point from there, and that set them up really nicely. Uh, they beat Dim last week to get to four points, and they came from behind to beat this Libertad side this week. All of a sudden, they're on seven points. And they still get to play Dim one more time. And then they obviously have to go to Boca on the final match night. But uh, an impressive performance from Caracas. Uh, Libertad scored right on halftime. Espinosa with the goal for the Paraguayans. It was basically one-way traffic uh, for Libertad in the first half. They were all over Caracas. It looked like it was a matter of time. And lo and behold, it was. And they scored. They went up 1-0. Went to halftime. And then coming out of halftime, it felt like this match completely shifted. And this young, scrappy Caracas side came out. They attacked. They won a penalty. And Jorge Echeverria converted that penalty to make it 1-1. And then after that, it felt like Libertad were back on top in this match. And that if there was to be a winner, it would be them. Caracas is number 10, Robert Hernandez, who has been a player that has really stood out in this competition. Uh, He's a 27-year-old journeyman Venezuelan player. 
his only experience outside of Venezuela is with the Tampa Bay Rowdies in, in the U.S. in 2015. But he's played really well. He's kind of that – he's a fun flair, number 10. He can hit a good free kick, and, and that's what he did against Boca on the first night. He provided the pass for Saul Guadiapa, I believe is, is how we're going to go with this. A 17-year-old Venezuelan attacker for Caracas who was playing in just his second career Libertadores match to score the winner, a late winner for Caracas, a composed finish from him. They win this match 2-1, and now on seven points – uh, they have a chance to to go through from this group. And if they can beat Dim, and if Boca then hold up their end of the bargain, Caracas will go through w- with a match to go. I think that's, if they're to go through, that's probably how it's going to happen. I don't know that I trust them to get anything at La Bomanera against Boca, uh, even with no fans inside La Bomanera. But really impressed with this Caracas side. I think uh, Noel San Vicente, a manager that we've, we've seen with the Venezuelan national team in the past, He deserves credit for what he's done with this side. It's a difficult situation for everybody involved, but there are some young, interesting players in this side, and they have a chance to to do something you don't see a lot out of a Venezuelan side, and that's advanced through in the Libertadores. Indeed, yeah, I've been I've been pretty impressed with them as well, and um, yeah, it'd be it'd be quite good to see them get out of this group stage, especially with a couple of really interesting youngsters in that team, as you've mentioned. Okay, I think that really wraps us up for, for this week. We'll be back next week to discuss more Libertadores action. And then the week after that, hopefully we get to discuss some comparable World Cup qualifiers as well. You might have to keep an eye on the news to see whether that will definitely go ahead or not. Austin, I'll come back to you just to find out where people can find you on Twitter and if you've got anything to plug. Yeah, so personally you can find me on Twitter at Austin underscore James 906. I would also encourage the listeners to follow the official account of the Conmebol Libertadores in English, at the Libertadores. And I would like to plug that as of last week, uh, Libertadores matches are now available to watch in England on the LiveScore app. So for any of our listeners who are located in the United Kingdom or in Ireland, you can download the LiveScore app and you can watch Libertadores matches free of charge with that app on either your phone or your tablet. Uh, viewers in the United States, of course, who probably already know, you can watch the Libertadores matches on BN Sports in the U.S., Australia and New Zealand also on BN Sports. Tom, I'll set you up for your plugs, and I'll also get in my plug about the LiveScore app. You've been using the LiveScore app to watch Libertadores. Oh, it's been a game changer for me. It's, uh, it does really make it so much easier for, for me over here to keep up to... to to date with all the games i've watched loads loads more than i've probably been able to live beforehand you know in the past i've either relied on dodgy streams or, or just watching back the games um the next morning so yeah it's been it's been absolutely brilliant and um yeah uh, good to have the english commentary with some some decent commentators who know their stuff and um and yeah really good uh quality as well so i definitely echo the sentiments and or well, hopefully i get some money from live score from <laughs> from that plug as well but yeah uh, other than that you can find me on tom robo 89 um on twitter um lots of articles I'd, I'd point people in the direction of our scouting spotlight pod of moises caicedo um, there should be another one on the way soon and uh, yeah generally i'll have articles and, and podcasts going up also my podcast with julio arca um for uh, for galasso um i would i really enjoyed uh 
recording that and speaking to him and so hopefully yeah lots of people will go and listen to that as well too indeed check that out um and also check out my twitter at adam brandon 84 updates on chilean football and south american football and libid stories um and yeah and if you've enjoyed this pod then please um rate and review review us on whatever platform you listen to us on and it's just left for me to say a huge thanks to tom and austin for joining me on this pod and also for you the listener and it's goodbye it's out <laughs>